there. I don't know, but we are. Are we live? Are we doing it? We are. I forgot the stopwatch last time. Wait, I didn't start yet. Goddamn tapes rolling. Let's go. Welcome to Nell and Matt's Obsolete Movies, the podcast where we revisit movies from our 20-plus years of collecting films on obsolete formats, also known as a podcast where we explore films from the VHS era, though not necessarily on VHS. And our film for this episode is Sister Sister from 1987, and we have it on VHS, getting it from the Monroeville Exchange... Today, Today, actually. So 20 plus years of collecting VHS and films and Laserdiscs and CEDs and DVDs and all that fun stuff. Uh, We bought a VHS tape today and we watched and are reviewing the film today. So. And the reason I got it, I saw it, is because uh, Bill Condon, who directed and co-wrote it, did this movie called Gods and Monsters, which is just brilliant. Um, and so if you haven't had a chance to check that one out, yes. check it out. Um, but Which, if I can intersect, Gods and Monsters is also the movie where I went, oh, wow. Brendan Fraser can act. <laughs> and now the world well, is no. going through a moment well, of like, oh, wow, Brendan <laughs> Fraser can act. So... But, but, um, you know, his most recent works were uh, the Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2, Dream Girls, and the latest adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Um, So he's kind of had a run of really good... Well, we love Guys and Monsters, but he's also been acknowledged for his work in these other films. And when you showed me the box and told me, it's the Gods and Monsters guy, I was thinking about, oh, well, maybe this will be another little indie gem from early in his career. Yeah. That will have the same good feelings as the masterful Gods and Monsters. And I'll also say Eric Stoltz is in it, and I just he did one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time called Some Kind of Wonderful. Um, mm. So whenever I see, and he also did the prophecy and uh, Pulp Fiction and, Pulp Fiction and Killing Zoe, Killing Zoe, um, and was the original Marty McFly, and he has the interpretation of the movie that he was fired because he saw, of course, the darkness in it, the darkness in it, which mm-hmm. I am now fully on board for. That is not a happy ending. Yeah. To, to Black to the Future, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he, I think Aristotle was right. Like, you know, Marty McFly changes the past and never has an opportunity to live this better life. And he comes back to it. And he's completely then isolated from himself, his community, his family. Everything he's known his entire life is gone. Yeah. And I mean, it's so funny because I think there's a darkness to the second one. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think Eric Stoltz got it right. Like there is there is a darkness to Back to the Future. Yes. Um, that we don't acknowledge. Yes. But I I am a huge Eric Stoltz fan. Uh, some kind of wonderful. I just adore that. I adore prophecy. Uh, so I saw those is, names together. I was like, yes. Ooh. And he is a career of someone who. It's like the career that never was. Yeah. Like, he was supposed to be one of those young actors that was going to go on the same trajectory as, like, Brad Pitt and 
Edward yeah. Norton, although Edward Norton sort of fallen away. George but, you know, Clooney. George like, Clooney. Yeah. He was gonna. I thought. I thought he was on that team. And, yeah, uh, and it just never kind of never kind of worked. So for him, I mean, uh, oddly, Bruce Willis ended up having the better career. Yeah. So you think of that intersect intersection of Pulp Fiction that they had together. Bruce Willis, you would not think of like, oh, but Bruce Willis ended up doing some pretty good prestige films and yeah. had a pretty healthy um, career. Yeah. And so this was not a film that I had... Or even Keanu Reeves. Like, for Keanu that Reeves. Minor, like, Who knew, movie. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this was not a film that I knew about or remembered before you, like, showed it to me. Yeah. And it was $3, so, you, you gotta know. You got to go for the $3 film you've never heard of, but the director did a really cool film. <laughs> yes, and there's a cool actor in it, yeah. so why and not? And Jennifer Jason Lee's in it, and I, I'm a fan of Jennifer Jason yes. Lee's She's True. an amazing actress. Um and it usually does a really good job in whatever role she's in. So this is the part of the film where we typically do the plot summary. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we can give you the scenario. Two sisters. Two, in, two, two, two very strange, eccentric sisters yeah. running a bed and breakfast, hotel, resort, whatever, at a southern plantation in Louisiana. Yes. One sister is the kind of more sister that's more the older sister that's the mother figure taking care of the younger sister who's had some mental issues. Was hospitalized for mental illness. Was hospitalized for mental illness. Um, There's a groundskeeper who's kind of nice and kind of okay and kind of weird. Kind of weird. Kind of rednecky, if you want to use that term. Uh, Plays that stereotype. Um, and Eric Stoltz arrives as this, uh, uh, congressional assistant on vacation, just wants to get out of D.C., get to the real world, and just have a nice time at this plantation. Yeah. And if this film convinces you to see it, uh, or this podcast convinces you to see the film, uh, there's not much more plot that we can really give away. Yeah. Um, and and there's a there's a bit of a hint of a love triangle. We yeah. can go that far where Eric Stoltz and the one sister are obviously sweet on each other. Yeah. Um, and then Charlotte, who's the older sister, is in love with the local sheriff, but is put off her love because Lucy, her younger sister has had problems in the past. Yes. And from there, there's at least three genuine WTF plot twist moments that <laughs> are then also, there's an element of this film, especially the last third, the third act of the film, that is completely unhinged and yeah. completely goes full Southern Gothic. There's not quite a, you know, body in the attic, but yeah. there's a body. Yeah. And, um... It happens like three times. It's like, oh, this is a new movie now. Oh, this is a new mo- Oh my God, this is a new movie. And then it's over. Yeah. 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 And, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's, and there's ghosts. There's ghosts. I, I mentioned, I was going to mention that Lucy sees and Ghosts and says that ghosts. there's ghosts in the swamp. I mean, so in a way, it, it also, it truly captures, you know, the idea of the gothic. Yeah. That there's these liminal spaces, there's a hint of the supernatural, there's a big spooky old house, yeah. there's secrets. It's in however that house not decayed. 
It is not decayed, yes. It's well taken care of. But so but isolated. It's an isolated... But yes, and swamp. there is this sort of romantic... I mean, there's a lot of scenes with very soft light. Yeah. Candlelight. The women wear white flowy clothing. As you do. As you do. As you walk in the through 80s. the swamp. As you walk through the swamp and you have big 80s hair. Yeah. And... Yeah. And all of that in candlelight everywhere. Yes. And of, of course... A Southern Gothic, so there's a hidden secret. There is a hidden secret. And that gets explored, and you kind of... The full... Uh, the whole of this, the, the secret... We're struggling so bad not to give this plot it's away. It's like an onion, and the secret keeps... Yes, it is an onion, yes. In multiple ways. Um... um. And I think without ruining the film, I can't... I don't know if we can talk about much more what happened. <laughs> and... <laughs> No, no, you don't want to ruin ruin the film. It's, there's a lot that goes on in this. There's a lot that goes on in the film. Um, it was not a box office success. No, not at all. It, um, if it only made around seven hundred thousand on a four hundred or a four million dollar budget, budget. So that's um, a lot I don't even know if Roger Ebert. I mean, I looked like just to see, like, because yeah. it's so unhinged. I could not. Uh, maybe I was just looking on my phone too quickly. Yeah. I couldn't even find if there's a Roger Ebert review of it. It just sort of went away. I did find um, it did come out on DVD in March of 2022. And mm. somebody said, oh, this is a lost classic or this is a lost yeah. uh, Southern Gothic horror movie. And, yeah. and there are horror elements yes. of the yeah. film uh, in the film, so, and it's that it's, build. it's a New World Pictures, which is Roger Corman, right? So it also kind of feels out of place in the oeuvre that I guess you're yeah. Say, I mean, World. it's definitely got a Roger Corman budget. Yeah, there are some production things we can talk about later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, revisiting this movie in the 2020s, or in our case, I think both of our cases, watching, being aware of, watching, <laughs> and now talking about the movie for the first time late in December of 2022. Um, yeah. yeah, seeing the film tonight. <laughs> Where do you want to go? <laughs> If we can't talk about plot, but we there's... Well, I think we can talk about it being Southern Gothic, right? Yes. Um, and kind of like the tropes that go with Southern Gothic. So you, as the uh, college professor, why don't you give a brief synopsis of Southern Gothic? So Southern Gothic has those classical Gothic elements. You know, they start with, again, big spooky old houses, secrets... A hint of the supernatural, yeah. perhaps even also, as you see with Lucy, a liminal character that kind of exists between worlds, that she is aware of the ghosts that are in the swamp, and she says she sees them, and of course everybody thinks she's crazy, which yeah. is, you know, very Carson McCullers' novel. Uh, also very Carson McCullers' You have an element of the grotesque. There are some characters that are pretty extreme. One that's borderline uncomfortable, but not racist in the way you think I'm implying. <laughs> uh, it's a different racist. Yeah. Um, and of course, yes, this 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 setting of sort of the old South and this disrupted, I guess that disrupted history in that world that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But is somewhat romanticized in the eyes of some. And so, like, for horror fans, like, The Skeleton Key would probably be a more recent yeah. um, horror film that is that has the tropes of the Southern Gothic in yes. it, which has the big spooky house. 
hints of the supernatural, um, kind of this isolation. Yes. And just weird things going on. So that that is very much what you experience in this particular yeah. film. So, I mean, if you read Carson McCullers, Flannery O'Connor's stuff, of course, all has these, these you know, old and fantastical. Old, fantastical, potentially supernatural, right. with secrets and regrets and extreme characters. So, like, the Southern Gothic kind of, you know, some theorists say comes out of Reconstruction. Like, Reconstruction period, right? Yes. Of, like, kind of this poverty and these family secrets and um, all this other stuff. And this, you know, maybe this decay, this cultural guilt. Yeah. This also cultural regret, also cultural... You know, people who also romanticize the past as well. And so it becomes this massive aesthetic souffle. And I think that's one of the things... This film leans really hard into that. And I think if you're not prepared for a supernatural Carson McCullers story, (laughs) (laughs) you might not like this film. um, Because it is so bizarrely unhinged. Yeah. I mean... It also, you know, we did Humanoids from the Deep, speaking of Roger Corman, not long ago. And this actually also follows the Roger Corman mantra of that you don't show the monster in the first act. Right. Because whatever people are imagining is always going to be... And that's just because Humanoids from the Deep, they're rubber suits. It's uh, the monster of Sister Sister is just one of the characters in the film that you're not sure which one it is. Uh, well, also I was thinking about, uh, you know, nudity as quickly as possible. Yes, nudity as quickly as possible, as in the first scene of the film is a sex scene dream sequence. It's very soft lighting. It's very soft lighting, very you get to see. Cinemax 1989, 11.30 p.m., parents have gone to bed. <laughs> Sex scene that happens in the film. Yes. First scene, which then becomes this fantastical, this flood, you know, the crucifix falls off the wall and into yeah. the flood as the, as the sky and the bedroom opens up and... Which it is a combination of repressed memory mm. and foreboding, actually. And yes, for, so there's a little little Freud, Freud yeah. in there, a little foreshadow in there. Yeah. Just boom. It's, it's sort of the overture for the film. <laughs> and there's also, again, white, soft, billowy fabrics and candlelight as they're having sex. Yeah. So it hits those marks as well. So I think... Uh, I actually got really frustrated with this film. Um, it was just, for me, kind of all over the place. But I think the number one thing that frustrated me, me and it it was a lot of filmmakers at that time just didn't know what to do with Jennifer Jason Leigh. Mm. And so I feel like a lot... It feels like early on in her career, and it might just because of Fast Times and Ridgemont High, like... You know, the, mm-hmm. the character that she portrays in that um, is, you know, a young teenage girl who wants to get, have sex. Like, she's just determined to have sex. But it feels like a lot of Jan- Jennifer's uh, early films were about, like, just can we show her boobs as quickly as yes. possible? Let's show her breasts as quickly as possible. And she's not necessarily, I don't always feel like she's used very well. 
Um, and so I think she does a really great job with what she's given, but she's not given a lot. Uh, and so she just spends a lot of yeah. the film being very like, oh, okay, I'll take my medicine. Okay, I'll vacuum. Okay, I'll show my breasts. Like, that's just kind of... Yeah, I'll um, take a bath when when the film needs me to take a bath. Yeah, and I feel that kind of, for In a me, candlelit white room. In a candlelit white room, exactly, <laughs> as you do. Um, I'll walk through the forest in white nightgown or, or a white dress yes. in the swamp as, as you need me to. Uh, so I think that was kind of hard for... Like, I just couldn't... I couldn't... Um, identify with her character, right? And so that was, like, hard. Yeah. So there wasn't necessarily anybody in the film that was kind of... Yeah, and now that you say that, the film, really, the plot, the script, the everything, that was Eric Stoltz's vehicle. Yeah. I think it was... He was meant to be the one who, you know, hit clean up in that film. Yeah. To use a baseball analogy. <laughs> so I think that, that was a little bit hard for me, and... You know, just because it's Southern Gothic, you know, there there's the crazy lady trope that happens. Mm -hmm. She's the crazy lady in the film. Um, and you're continually reminded that she has, should take her medicine. Um, and it's a red herring. Like, the, her not taking her medicine. I'll just, just say that. But mm. you're kind of again and again reminded, so like... Maybe there really are ghosts in the swamp. Swamp, oh. right. Ooh. And so she's reminded repeatedly <laughs> to take her medicine by her sister. And then her sister is played by Judith Ivy, who I thought it was Judith Light. Um, I was wrong. From uh, uh, Who's the Boss? But Judith Ivy, she was on Designing Women for a, se a season or two. Mm. Uh, she was also in Rose Red, which was a, a Stephen King TV movie. But you know her. She's, like, been on TV in a ton of movies. She's always this background actress. She she does a good good job. Um, but I don't think she brings enough menace to the role. Either. Yeah. Uh, so if it was, like, a bet if Betty Davis was starring in that role, she would have chewed the scenery, right? And you would have felt a sense of... Of menace, mm -hmm. uh, because you just kind of—if it's two eccentric sisters, typically one is crazy, typically the other one is menacing, and yes, you, you just don't you don't get that. So it was just yes. hard to kind of connect with either one of them. Yeah, for, for me, for some reason. No, that that makes sense. But you liked it, so why don't you talk about <sighs> what you liked about it? <laughs> I liked it, I, I think, in that it was the genre study, mm. that it does have this fantastical element, that it... You know there's, like, certain brands of white cheddar popcorn that are really good? Like, it's, like, aged cheddar, white cheddar popcorn. It's a popcorn movie! But it's aged cheddar. <laughs> cheddar popcorn. Not that, like, yellow sprinkly stuff. Yeah. Styrofoam stuff. But, like, the aged cheddar. It's that. I think it does take itself a bit seriously. Yeah. It does... There's a little bit of try hard in the film. Yeah. But I sort of, like, oh, I see what they did there. There's a crawfish festival and they got Swamp Boogie. Music <laughs> playing in the background. They're going for it. They're leaning hard. And so I sort of enjoyed that and yeah. I did enjoy the 
the other thing the film does very well uh, for the first two thirds of the film, it's a ninety minute movie. Also, I love me a ninety minute runtime. Yeah. For the first hour of the film, it does slow, seething, writhing action very well. There's the love triangle that doesn't that doesn't turn out to be what you think it is. Yeah. There is this sexual tension between, you know, the Stoltz character and and Lucy. You know, all of that. I think is interesting. It does it does do the white billowy, candlelit, windswept hair aesthetic really well in a fun way. Um, I also think, as I said uh, to you when the film was over, uh, and we had much more vehement argument about the film, uh, <laughs> I think I wanted to watch Eve's Bayou again, and yeah. I wanted to watch Eve's Bayou again for the first time. Yeah. And I'll never watch Eve's Bayou again for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and because that I think does southern fantasy gothic the yeah. fantastical element the, the the memory play element because it takes place past tense in this young girl's memory yeah so well that is such a good film oh my god see Eve's Bayou if you want southern gothic see Eve's Bayou but once you've consumed Eve's Bayou and you need more sort of late 80s, early 90s Southern Gothic. Sister, sister, is there waiting for you? And I realized, you know, so Gods and Monsters came out in 99. Oh. We watched it at my, the weekend of my graduation party from college. Yeah. This film came out in 87. Oh. So it was repackaged in 99 2000 after, oh, after he gods and monsters gotcha. was a hit and critically acclaimed and was sort of sold to the gods and monsters audience as hey and we fell for that trick 22 years later we did we absolutely we fell sure for did they were smart you know it's so funny actually now that now that you're so true we did fall for it, and that's yes. exactly why they did it. Because oh, people money, like though. us are like, "Gods and Monsters was amazing. We should see everything else." He's done. You know what? Though I had two dollars in some sense in store credit, so mm. we paid fifty cents for this VHS tape. Nice. If we wanted to say the store credit went to to that movie, you know, a reward point. I'm sorry. <laughs> so as you're talking, actually, the gift. Do you remember the gift? Vaguely, when yes. Billy Bob Thornton directed it. Oh yes, yes. Know. So in some ways, it's almost like Billy Bob saw this movie because there's like some elements of the yeah, gift again, in this. I, um, but the the gift actually I feel like is a tighter film, uh, mm, in some ways. Yes, it is. It and, absolutely is. I guess that's the thing for me about the film is I enjoyed it for the elements that worked. Mm. It's like I was saying to a friend who's a baseball fan who did not like the Denzel Washington Viola Davis. Um, fences mm. because it's a play that doesn't quite get adapted to the screen. Mm -hmm. It still does the that play happens in the backyard of the Maxon home, yeah. and that film does, and so that essential element of film doesn't work. Right. And I was like, I get that, and it's like there was a ball player named Rob Deere who fifty percent of his at bats were home run strikeouts. Or or deep fly ball outs. Like 50% of the time he runs, stepped up to the plate, he either hit a home run 
he struck out or he almost hit a home run. He did one baseball thing well. <laughs> he hit home run. Yeah. And in a way, I think sometimes for me, it's like I look at a film like this and go, well, if you enjoy it on these terms, right. what it does, visually interesting, though this is a really beat, cheap VHS copy of the film. Yeah. And it was also widescreen on our widescreen TV, so it was like very letterbox style. Yeah. A lot of black and black bars at the top and the bottom. Um, it is also a widescreen presentation, or does it's taking itself very seriously, <laughs> trying to be premium. And yes, there are things about the film you're right. I mean, I think the two female leads characters are somewhat underdeveloped. Yeah. Um, there are some cheap production values. It is a Roger Corman budget, but with yeah. big movie aspirations. Right. Um... But there was also scenes that are beautifully shot. No, you're that in the is film, true. That is true. I think that kind of it then does rising action really well in terms of the plot. Yeah. And then I I sort of enjoyed like I mean it was like M Night Shyamalan times three. <laughs> I mean it was it was wow what a twist oh there's another twist, twist. Yeah. you know the previous twist is now irrelevant because there's a new <laughs> twist that makes it a whole other movie that you've been watching now. We're for 70 minutes of a 90-minute film. Yeah. And then give it another 10 minutes because then in 80 minute, at the 80-minute mark, or approximately, it's going to become a whole other film <laughs> that... And I sort of was like, all right, this is, you know, this is a popcorn picture, but it's a fancy popcorn picture. That's and I do like me the occasional fancy <laughs> popcorn picture. And that's... I will die on that hill for this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did not, it didn't really connect with me. I was just, I, I got to the point where I was like, oh, the, there was too much cheese on the cheese popcorn uh, okay. for me. And, but I, I do agree, there was some elements that I like. Like, I, like, I found it so humorous that there was kind of the presence in the attic right and you know like watching through the hole i love that like there so there's certain things that i i did find fun um but it got to the point where it was just like and what's the next thing and what's the next thing so while you enjoyed yeah that kind of these three different shifts that that happened i just was like oh, okay cool what's next <laughs> with it yeah. um so i didn't really connect with it I, think I mean, I'm, and I will say the other thing to, to clarify this point without giving away the plot, but there was a moment where, you know, I had a professor who described, like, if you're ever reading something and then you're suddenly reading something, you're like, wait, what am I reading? You, like, falling off the horse. Yeah. There's a point where we fell off the horse of yes, this movie this where we were like, we looked at each other like, wait, what, what, what? That scene doesn't make sense. Who's that child? What's weird? What? 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 So we did. We definitely did have that moment. So I will say it did surprise us at that moment, and there was yes. a turn that. We but had to, to the point out. where we lost the film, and yeah. I bet there were probably some people who saw this film who never got back on the yeah. horse, who never figured it out, and I, <sighs> and not in a like, oh, it's so intriguing sort of way. But literally, they were like, what the hell just happened? I don't yeah. know what just happened. What is this movie? I don't yeah. get it. Can somebody explain this to me? And it's not like it's, you know, now, and you can just pull your pocket computer out and ask Siri. Yeah. Uh, what's think, the plot of this you movie? You know what? I think kind of... Which we did not do that. We figured it out on our own, but still, I think some people just never... I will say, I think what annoyed me about it is that that you weren't 
given a, a hint that this particular character existed. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So even if there was a yeah. scene at the in the flashback party where they're all playing tag together or something like that, mm. that's what took me. That is exactly what took me out of the film. That's what took me out. Yeah, that's what kind of annoyed me because it was just like I don't want to give the play away. We can't give the plot away. But I, I will say though, I think for me is by then I realized the film is unhinged. <laughs> by the film's like, unhinged and just whatevs. buckle up. Whatevs, whatevs is going to Buckle up. Yeah. It's your your we're going to get back to, <laughs> we're going to get back to the station at some point. <laughs> Which, maybe we should get to the four big questions yeah, to yeah. reframe this argument. So the first big one is, is it camp, retro, a classic, or just an old movie? <laughs> I think it's campy. I think it has campy elements yeah. to it. I think it's retro. Really? I think it's, I miss the grown-up, I will say this, if today there came out, there was a new Merchant Ivory film, and I'm sure <laughs> those guys are still dead. I miss the idea <laughs> of like the grown-up movie uh, that's that just has big sweeping, you know, gestures mm -hmm. and takes you someplace, and there's no CGI in it. And you knew this is the prestige film. This was. is the prestige picture. This, was this is the Roger Corman prestige, prestige film. picture. Yeah. Um, and so I think for that also is that I think I wanted that going into mm -hmm. the film. I wanted something of that era that was like, ah, that's a grown-up movie from that era. Gotcha. You know, we do blockbusters. We'll do, you know, at some point we should do Ghostbusters on CED. Yeah. Because it's the last ever CED. And I bought Ghostbusters on CED. So that's coming at some point in 2023 probably. Yeah. Um, I did but, pass up a bunch of laser, Star Wars laser discs just today, so that's okay. There won't be Star Wars in the in the future. No, you know we have Star Wars. Oh, that's right. We do. We have the VHS box set from the box that is the cover image for the podcast, oh. the featured image for the podcast. And I don't think we've ever reviewed a movie that came in that box. We should then, huh? But Star Wars is one of the movies that <laughs> came in that box. We'll have to do it. We'll yeah. have to do or ten. Mm. It's like Bo Derek, which yeah. is also a. That falls in that category of, like, it was on HBO, but we were way too young. Yeah. We should watch that at some point. On Betamax. So, yeah. So, all right. More dis... More... Well, this one might agree. What about the po social political distance of the film? And we do have to talk about the... There is a... Also a scene in the film. And I don't know. I guess it was supposed to be comic relief. And there's a slight way that the one character advances the plot. But also then this... Very Jewish stereotype family from yeah. like New York City shows up. Yeah. And the mother character is very like, you know, very outspoken, very doesn't have much social grace and just wants to feed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Thing. And they obviously have lots of money. And so that also... Tra trapezes through the film yeah. uh, uh, in the middle part. Yeah. In the middle third. Oh. That uh, is sort of like, uh, you know, Mel Brooks could get away with these characters. But, yeah. Also, there's no people. Neil Simon could get away with these characters. It's also the South, and there's no people of color. This is also very which, true. Which is weird. 
That is a weird flex, That's yeah. That's a very weird flex. The Crawfish Festival, there's a couple of extras. Uh, okay. But, yeah, to not have... Right. A police officer. Yeah. The letter carrier for the mail. You know, like, yeah. yeah, there is not. You're right. And that and that scene is just for her and the... For Charlotte and the sheriff to have... And a it is a plantation. Of, it is a plantation, yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of... Yeah, weird. That, is, that is both. Those are two things that are also very weird. Which, again, maybe is why Eve's Bayou is the better film. This is true. And I also think, like, I just... One I, of the many reasons Eve's Bayou is the better film. It's also... So you have these two sisters, sister, sister. You have these mm-hmm. two sisters who are living in this old plantation, which they keep... Well, it's well kept, who are running a bed and breakfast. Um, and so... A was like, where did their money go? <laughs> they were able, their family afforded this plantation at one point in time, but uh, so they're they're running their own business, right? But you just don't like you don't get a sense of like either of them being like in some way strong enough to manage their own business. Yeah, um, and so it's kind of weird. So like you have these, they two, are very wispy. They're very wispy. So you have these like two women who are strong enough to own their own business. They're united around this kind of secret from the past. And really, I'll just go back to it. Jennifer Jason Leigh, I felt like, was cast because of her body. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that's kind of about... And I I do think they both tried to do good and act well around the characters. But I feel like that kind of... That female type of character feels dated. For both those both female characters feel kind of dated now it wasn't like whatever happened to baby jane where it's kind of like (laughs) you know (laughs) over crazy and over the the top type of thing and so i guess maybe he was he trying to not have that type of character like which he could have easily had but i just wish they were more well-rounded and i think for the film that's supposed to star these two women I wish they were more well-rounded. So that feels dated to me. Yeah. I will agree with that completely. So the technical distance of the film... No cell phones. Yeah, that's a different world. Um, Power goes out a lot. The power does go out a lot. Yes, the power is very unreliable. Yeah. No TV. No TV, yeah. Yeah. Um... And I think in terms of, like, the filmmaking as well, again, a lot of soft focus, a lot of soft lighting. Yeah. Again, this is a prestige picture on a Roger Corman budget. Yeah. And, you know, those those things of, like, that now you have to have a reason why the cell phone didn't work. Like, oh, I forgot to plug it in. Yeah. I I mean, it's an old movie. Um, It's It's an an old movie, so, like, the telephone is really easy just that it was cut or, you know, the lines are down or something. Um, so that does happen, like the so that is that work. other world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely feels at the time that it was set in. Yes. Yeah. So will we ever watch this film again? <laughs> Question four, the big one. What will end up happening is I'll forget that it annoyed me, 
and in like five, six years, I'll be like, what was this sister-sister thing again? Oh, uh, we're going we should, through, you know. <laughs> should, maybe we should be down in the basement all the other VHS I'll be on to, you know, if we'll have so many episodes into this podcast that maybe I'll have the uh, another notebook with another list and I'll be like, of films. Yeah. And I always check the first notebook and see if the, for the first hundred, ep- <laughs> for the first hundred episodes. But, but if, if we had a friend over 70 episodes and we were like, and they were like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm interested in Southern Gothic. Like, what what would be a good introductory film? I'd be like, yeah, Sister, Sister. No, it would be Eve's Bayou. Eve's Bayou. Eve's Bayou. Actually, that's the thing. Watch it. People, watch Eve's Bayou. That's I true. would buy a copy of Eve's Bayou on Laserdisc or VHS or whatever. Well, Laserdisc or VHS, so we could do it for the podcast. Honestly, yeah. it's such a great, great, great film. And the more we talk about this film, I still like Sister Sister, but I wanted to watch Eve's Bayou again for the first yeah. time, and I'll never get to do that, and so, that sucks. I guess if you want an example of a Southern Gothic Of film. a really good, from this period, because yeah. Eve's Bayou was, I think, 92. And then if you want a 2000s S- good example, I like I would say The Gift. <laughs> the Gift, or Beast of Southern Wild, oh, Beast or is amazing. That's, yeah. that's a, you know... Zeitgeist film for the American 21st century. Yeah. Um, see those films first, and you'd be like, man, I want I want a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you get to Sister Sister. It's you like know. that B-side that's never released. Yeah, it's like, the B-side. Oh, it's the, you know, get the B-side. being a music geek as well, this is the B-side that's never released that comes out on the retrospective box set. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but that song, it's like, I've already heard all those other songs by that band. <laughs> but that B, unreleased B-side demo version of the B-side <laughs> that's on disc eight of the box set, that's Sister Sister for Southern Gothic Cinema. So will I be wake up one day and be like, man, I gotta see Sister Sister. It's not one of those films for me. But I wouldn't be surprised if I, in a few years, stumble back into watching it again. I would subject it to friends. Yeah? Because the latter part plot is so unhinged. <laughs> that they just be like, you want you want a ride? You want to see something? <laughs> Watch Let's this. go in, yeah. Yeah. And then if Jennifer Jason Lee, if you want her in uh, like a really tough female role, see The Hateful Eight. Yes. Um, because she's amazing in that film. Yeah. Cool. But if you want to see your boobs in the first five minutes, there see you go. Sister Sister. So see Sister Sister. <laughs> <laughs> three bucks. Well, I will say it was a three bucks well spent. Yes. If it was 15, I'd be like... Oh, oh yeah, we'd feel cheated, yeah. Yeah, but for I think three, if I bought a movie ticket to see this, I would feel cheated. But, but. for $3 on an yeah. old VHS tape, it was well, well, well money listen. well spent. Uh, yeah, we've got a podcast episode out of it, so... Cool. I think that's it. That's it. Bye, everybody. Thank Bye. you. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, I guess. should say that if you're an influencer, right? I don't think we're influencers. We're not, no. No, no, in any way, shape, or form, but... Bye. Yeah, bye.